So I have a question for you this morning. When, uh, when you were a kid, I'm going to invite you to think back. When you were a kid, if you had a sibling, did your mom or dad seem to have a favorite? Only children? Um, I, you were obviously the favorite, so you'll just have to play along for a moment. But for the rest of you, did, did your mom or dad seem to, to have a favorite? I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing that some of us feel like mom or dad did, you know, favor one child or, or the other. Uh, now, as parents, right, for those of us who are here as parents, we're like, no, of course, of course we don't have favorites, right? We don't, we don't favor one child over, over the other. We quickly defend ourselves from the idea. We'd, we'd say that we loved our children equally. But if we think about it, right, it does feel sometimes probably felt to some of us like, like parents had a, a favorite. So this is a question this morning. So what about God? Does God have favorites? Favorites among God's children? Like, I'm going to guess our, our initial impulse is to say, no, like God doesn't, God doesn't play favorites. Not, not in any way. But Luke's gospel, when we dig into Luke's gospel, we sure see this, uh, this sense that God favors the outcast and the, and the poor and the, and the stranger and the powerless. It all begins with Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, right? Mary says this to the angel that visits her, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Looked with favor, looked with preference on the lowliness of his servant. So what do you think? Does God favor the lowly? And if so, why? Let's, uh, let's pray and then dig a little deeper into Bible accounts of Advent and let this question kind of be our guide. Would you pray with me? Holy God, I just pray that you will speak to us in these moments ahead. Open our hearts and, and minds and souls to your word for each and every one of us. Expand our minds and fill us again with your love. And with hearts full, then send us again to be your church for your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jamie and Jill were sisters. They were just a year apart. While in junior and senior high school, like some siblings, they fought all the time. Jamie, the eldest, always thought that her sister sort of got away with everything and, and was two years ahead of her and every blessing that she received while she was growing up. And Jill, the younger, felt like she was always living in perfect Jamie's shadow, who never seemed to get in trouble for anything. A few years passed, though, and they were both upperclassmen in, in college, and as it often will happen for siblings, the relationship at that point just kept growing closer to each other. They called and texted all the time. They enjoyed spending time. They supported each other at the two schools where they were studying. They were both at home one Christmas break, 
They were having a conversation one evening. Their parents had gone to bed, and they were just kind of reminiscing, sharing stories like, like you do when you've, you've gathered together with, uh, with family, fun, fun stories in high school, things they, things they did and things they fought over. And one of the memories was a time when their dad got mad at both of them. And, uh, and when they shared this memory, it triggered something for Jamie. And she said to her younger sister, she said, you know, Jill, you were always dad's favorite. And Jill pondered for a moment and was like, do you really think that? She was curious more than anything what her, what her sister meant. But Jamie, Jamie was all over this at this point. She's like, I don't just think so. I know so. Like dad was at every sports game that, uh, that you played in, of every sport that you played. He drove you back and forth to practices. He drove you back and forth to practices even after you had your own driver's license. I can tell you that dad wasn't at all of my concerts. And once I got my driver's license, dad never offered to drive me places. And add to that that you and dad seem to like always be doing things on the weekend, always active, always going out for hikes or skiing in the, in the wintertime. You were absolutely his favorite. Jill thought for a moment again and then, and then responded slowly. She said, I absolutely can see how you think that. But there are parts of the story that I'm not sure you even know. She said, if it looked like dad favored me, I think it might only be because I needed more attention. He was at every sports event because he knew that if, I, if he was there that I would I would play harder, that I would, I would give it my best. He drove me back and forth to practices because I made lousy friend choices in high school. And whenever I went and, uh, and, and walked to practice myself or drove myself to practice once I had my license, I ended up making stupid decisions on the way home and got in trouble. And so he just kept driving me back and forth. He scheduled us to do things on weekends because mom and dad didn't trust me to just hang out and have free time. So that's why we were always doing things together. She went on to tell her older sister, she's like, I know how proud he was and, and is of, of you. you. He didn't have to spend that time with you because you made good grades without that push and you made good decisions. Like You succeeded without him having to be there all the time to push you. Jamie realized she'd never thought of it that way. She knew her dad loved her, right? And she knew her sister had some tough times in high school. She just had always thought that maybe her dad favored her younger sister. Now she realized she, she just had never actually understood the whole picture. Favor. I'm going to look at that word today, favor. It's the root to the word favorite, right? And it, it means approval, or, or often in the sense it means preference, to, to favor one thing or another, or to, or to give preference to something. It's a word that actually appears quite a bit in the Bible, 212 times in the NRSV, if anybody wants to look that up and, and, count, uh, and count each one. It appears over and over again. Uh, it, it says in the Bible that, uh, that Noah had God's favor, Right? It says uh, that the people of God in the Exodus, they sought the Lord's favor as they were under the rule of, 
the Egyptian pharaohs. The Psalms, then, they sing of the Lord's favor. And then the prophets speak of of God's favor, of the Lord's favor. The prophet Isaiah says this, The Lord's Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and liberation for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn. Do you notice how the year of the Lord's favor is filled with good news for the poor and release for the captives and, and good news for the brokenhearted and, and those mourning? Do you know the first words that Jesus teaches from out of Holy Scriptures in the Gospel of Luke? Anybody want to take a guess? Yeah, it's these words from Isaiah, the very first words that Jesus teaches from, according to Luke's Gospel. And then we find this sense of favor in, in the Advent story that we're going to look at today, the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. First, an angel tells Mary that she is highly favored. And then Mary sings this song in response to Elizabeth, her cousin, telling her, making this declaration that the baby that she carries is going to be the Messiah. And this is what happens next. Mary responds, Luke 1, 46 to 55, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. When you've heard sermons in the past on, on Mary or, or Advent sermons, like what, what have they focused on? When, when I've preached about these, these texts about Mary or, um, or when I've heard sermons in, in my own life, so often they, they focus on all these beautiful themes around Mary. They, they talk about how she was a peasant girl from a small town suddenly like in the, in the spotlight of, of faith history. They talk about how she must have felt, how scared she must have, uh, have been in those moments. They talk about how God chose her and how Mary was willing to say yes to God's calling. There is so, so much there, so many rich messages in, in Mary's story. But today, we're going to look a little bit deeper and at these verses that, I don't know about you, but for me, they're, they're verses that we sort of have often just been sort of glanced over as we go along this, this prayer of Mary and, and what she says, because there, there are some challenging words in here. 
right? The powerful will be brought down and the lowly will be lifted up. The hungry will be filled while the rich will be sent away empty. Powerful words in here. And it, and it, when we really dig in, in fact, we had this conversation with our staff this, this week. We, um, uh, most weeks, we'll, we'll have a Bible study on the, on the text that I'm preaching on, on Sunday. And, and this week, we looked at this text, and we're like, wait, does, does God really favor the lowly? And then we begin to wrestle, are, are we the lowly or, or are we the rich? And, and what, is that, what does that mean in our lives? We might start by recognizing that, that this prayer of Mary actually echoes a prayer of the Bible spoken many years before by a woman named Hannah. In 1 Samuel, Hannah has committed her firstborn son, Samuel, to serve the Lord as, a, as really a way to say thank you to God for blessing her with fertility, with the opportunity to have a child. And this is what the Bible said, Hannah prayed and said, my heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The boughs of the mighty are broken but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shoal and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Can you hear the echoes in the two prayers, the boughs of the mighty are broken and the feeble are lifted up. Those who are rich and full are now begging for food while, while those who are hungry eat their fill. What does all this mean about God's favor? The songs of Hannah and Mary in the Bible I wonder if they don't challenge our cultural assumptions about what it means to be favored. Or another word that we often use in this place is to be blessed, right? We'll talk about our, our blessings. When we talk about blessings from God, what do we usually talk about? You know, I've been blessed by this job, or I'm, I'm blessed to have the home that I live in, or, or I'm, I'm, you know, blessed by a financial windfall. We talk about those as our blessings, and, and there's certainly some, some truth in that. But do you ever think about what we, what we say without even thinking about it when we talk about those blessings in that way? Right, what we, what we, often, what we often say without even thinking about it is, right, to have money is to be blessed, but does that mean that somebody without money isn't blessed? 
to have a, a home, a, a, a roof over our heads, and, and a warm place to sleep at night is to be blessed. Does that mean that, that the, the homeless don't have any blessings or favor from God? To have a job means I'm blessed, but does that mean if I, if I don't have a job, if I'm not working, I'm, I'm not blessed or I'm not favored by God? We don't mean to say that. I mean, we don't, we don't intend to imply that, that those who have are blessed and those who don't have are, are not blessed, but it's, it sort of runs underneath the way we often talk about or think about blessing or God's favor. So as Hannah and Mary pray, we notice something in this prayer about God's favor and blessing, right? God's favor and blessing in these prayers, it's a very different sense. For Mary and Hannah, blessing of, and favor of God, it doesn't rest in status or, or wealth or position or power or things. Blessing or favor for Mary and Hannah, is recognizing that even in their lowly state, God has blessed them. Even in their lowly state, God is present and at work and ready to pour forth blessing in their lives. In fact, the very nature of being humble and lowly in a lowly state allows one to see what God is doing allows them to put their whole trust in God. I was in a, a leadership seminar once a, a number of years ago. We were invited to play a game. Maybe some of you have done this. It's kind of a, a team-building game. We were in a, we were one group. There were about 10 of us in this leadership seminar. We were, uh, uh, we were invited to be in teams of five, and then we were introduced to a game and told that the the goal of the game was to earn as much as possible, to earn as much as possible. There were going to be 10 rounds in the game, and in each round, each group had a decision to make. You could share or you could take. Pretty simple. If both teams decided to take, then both teams would gain a dollar. If, uh, if both teams decided to share, then then both teams would gain $3. Now, if one team decided to share, though, and the other team decided to take, then the team that decided to take would earn $5, and the team that uh, decided to share would lose $2. Then, after the fifth round, they told us there'd be time to visit. So the game began, the team's you know, started to talk to each other, and there was a, a young woman and I on, on our team, and uh, we were both kind of consensus builders and just sharers by nature, and we're like, we should just, like, we should just choose to share all the way through the game. Like, let's just share the blessing and, and let everybody have the most that everybody can have together. And, and, uh, and so our team went along with us, and for the first three rounds, we picked share, even though after the first round, the other team picked take. We lost $2, they gained 5 In the second round, the other team picked take. They gained 5 and we lost 2 And we're like, no, no, we're going to keep at this. The other team is going to turn around and, and see this. After the third round, though, our team lost confidence in us. And in their defense, the other group sure didn't seem like they were going to share. 
So our team argued we needed to minimize the damage, and so we shifted to take, and both groups picked take for two more rounds. So now, right, we're, we're at the end of five rounds. Their team has like $17. Remember, uh, pastor, not math major. Um, uh, the other team had like $17, and we're like $4 in the hole or something. And, um, and now we get to talk to each other. And so as we talked to each other, we said to the other team, I said, and, and my partner in crime said to the other team, like, look, you all are up like 20 bucks. We are not going to catch you in this game. So let's just share the rest of the way out. And they're like, well, think about it. <laughs> Went back into our groups and picked again. And, and to, to honor the other team, they came back out and they shared in their first choice coming out of that. Only our team uh, after we had this negotiation decided, they're like, this is our chance. We're going to take and get even. And I, no convince, I, we could not convince them. So that's what we did as a team. We, we selected take, and, and sure enough, we won that round, right? We got $5. But then the other team, right? I mean, all trust was lost. So we were never going to catch them. So instead of making any more, we, everybody, it was take, take, and everybody just got a dollar through the rest of the game. So the game ends, and uh, the facilitator steps in to, you know, just have a conversation about the experience. What, what happened here? And he says these words. He's like, he's like, all right, so, so who won? Oh, no, that's not what he said. He said, did you win? He said, did you win? And, uh, and our team was like, Nope. <laughs> And the other team was like, we won. And the facilitator said, what was the goal of the game? And somebody answered, what well, was to earn as much money as we possibly could. And then it was a member of the other team, and they quickly said, and we would have, except that they shifted to take, as though we were going to go through the game and give all the money to them. And then the facilitator said, well, what's the most that you could earn, could earn in this game? And one of the winning teams said, well, it would have been $50 if they had just selected share the whole time and we had selected take. The most we could have earned was $50. And the facilitator said, is that the most you could have earned? A few of us in this moment, we saw it right away. Right? The answer was No. The most we could have earned as a group was $60, right? The most we could have earned if we'd have both picked share all the way through the game, the most we could have earned as a group was $60. Some of us saw it right away. Some of us, it, it took a little bit longer as the conversation uh, went, went on. But you see, all it took was dividing us into, into two teams, one group, but two teams. And once we were in two teams, we could no longer fathom that there was a joint goal for the group. As soon as it, it was said that the goal of the game was to earn as much as possible, both teams thought that that meant that their group should win at the expense of the other team. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. I mean, we couldn't, even, we couldn't even fathom that there was a different goal in mind for this game as, as one team. This is how the world kind of conditions us to think, isn't it? Us and them, winners and, and losers, blessed and not blessed, favored and, and not favored. 
God's vision. God's vision for the world is so much different. God's kingdom that we're invited to take part in, God's kingdom is, is so much different. Right? God, God favors grace and justice, not, not power and status. God favors humility and, and generosity, sharing, not, not winning and, and wealth. Jesus, throughout his ministry in Luke's gospel again and again and again, he challenges those with power and with position and with wealth and with status, those who are connected to the, to the empire and, and use that status for, for personal gain. He challenges them again and again and again, all the while while he reaches out again and again to those on the margins and those on the outcasts and those that are hurting and those that are mourning and those that are suffering. Right, the story for Luke, it begins right here with Mary in this text we looked at today, a peasant girl in a small, insignificant town who's called by an empire, who has life upended by an empire to go to another small, insignificant town where she has a, a baby in a, in a stable. God at work through, through the lowly. Why does God favor the lowly? Well, because God's desire for us, God's desire for God's people is, is justice and grace. The Bible, it shows us when, when God's people are hurting, when there is injustice and pain, right? God raises up leaders to, to call out the injustice, to show us where there's hurt, where there are those who are, are suffering, to lead God's people with humility and, and loving kindness to address the inequality and the, the inequities in our world. God's desire is for everyone to have a place at the table. God's desire is for everyone to, to be able to see the game, to see God at work in our lives. And the truth is, if we look at the biblical accounts and we look at our history, when, when people have forgotten God, when they've consolidated too much power or too much wealth, right? when, it's, when those things that aren't bad in themselves, when they've drawn us away from, from knowing God's love in our lives, from seeing God at work in the world, God often humbles them. God often humbles us, turns the, turns the tables not, not simply to turn the tables, not simply to reverse and make the poor rich and the, and the rich poor, but, but I think to invite all of God's children to imagine, to imagine a world where there is enough for everyone. To see a world where everybody has a, has a place where everybody is loved, where everybody is provided for. Why does God favor the lowly? Well, because in places of, of suffering and poverty and struggle, faith in Christ becomes the most important thing. 
This is at the heart of Luke's gospel. That Jesus comes to, to show us that it's, it's in that place of deepest humility where we most clearly see the love of God breaking through. Right? In our, in our lowliness, we realize that we need Jesus. In our lowliness, we can realize that we can't do it ourselves, but that Jesus is with us. In our lowliness, we get to see what Christ is doing in our midst. So this is our faith challenge this week of Advent. It's a It's an invitation to read Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's right at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 2. And then to read Mary's prayer in Luke chapter 1. And start to to move us toward this birth of Jesus to the Christmas holiday, to read these two prayers in the Bible this week. And, And then with those prayers as a model, just take a moment in your own life of prayer. And write your own prayer like Mary and Hannah, a prayer that that both praises God and then speaks to the reality of of how you see God's character and how God is, is present in our lives and in the world today. How do you see God at work in your life right now? And ask yourself, what is what's standing in the way of putting your total trust in Jesus? And then as you're writing that prayer, You're invited to do this just in a place of knowing Jesus' presence. Just to know if you find yourself in 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 a low place right now, physically, mentally, spiritually, if you find yourself in a low place right now, to recognize in that moment of prayer that Jesus is with you. that God promises in Jesus to be present and invites you to to see that loving presence in your life and all around you. And if you find yourself in a good place, if you find yourself with, with resources and energy and time and life to share, to recognize that, that God invites us through Jesus to be part of going out into the world and lifting up, lifting up the lowly, sharing of our lives, discovering that God is already present in places of poverty and struggle and illness and hurt and mourning. And God just is inviting us to step into those places and name God's presence to show others God is here with us.